0: Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8, 12 to 14. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I stole the title for this sermon, or at least part of it, from a book which I'm going to order, but I haven't yet. It's simply called Licensed to Kill, a field manual for mortifying sin. I changed it just a little bit, and I called it Licensed to Kill, a beginner's start to mortifying sin. I thought it may be helpful to step out of 1 Corinthians just for a week for any number of reasons. I think one is just from the fact that we were in some heavy stuff in the book of Corinthians. And part of Corinthians is this struggle that Christians have after they have become followers of Jesus Christ to step out of the world and yet continue to live in the world. And that can be an ongoing battle. It is for every one of us who has come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And so I wanted to take a few minutes and talk about how we engaged in that battle. I've been wrestling with it for probably four months now on, in my own in just a number of areas, but certainly as we taught on sanctification in one of the discipleship classes, the last week in particularly, we spent some time looking at Colossians um, chapter 3, which talks about putting to death those things in our life that we need to get rid of and putting on a new wardrobe and So my mind has been wrestling around um, there as well. And as I've been thinking about these things, I've realized, again, that the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And I think as Christians, we need to wrap our minds around that if we're going to make progress in this battle against sin that dwells in us. I mentioned, I think, or I might have forgotten to mention, that this is Pentecost Sunday. And I think it's really appropriate on Pentecost Sunday, which is a day in history that happened thousands of years ago when 40 days or 50 days after Jesus has been taken up to heaven, he sent the promised Holy Spirit, which is rooted in an Old Testament feast, which is recorded thousands of years earlier than that. That when Jesus was taken up into heaven, he sent his promised Holy Spirit to come and live in us. And so this reality of the Holy Spirit living in us and communion, which we've just celebrated, which reminds us about our union with Christ, is great, a great help in laying the foundation for how we put to death sin in our life and how we win this battle that we wrestle with on a moment-by-moment basis. To borrow a practice of Pastor Barry, And maybe I will stick through this throughout the sermon, but he generally tries to bring his sermon down into a single sentence. And so I've tried to do that because I don't know if we'll cover everything I've planned to cover. But it's a sentence that I hope that you will think about and run around in your head for a little while. But it's simply this, we all, every one of us who is a follower of Jesus Christ today, we all, by reason of our union with Christ, and the indwelling Holy Spirit of God are licensed to kill sin in our lives. By reason of our union with Christ and through the indwelling of the Spirit of God, we are licensed to kill sin in our lives. I think we need to think more often about our union with Christ. And in fact, our goal will be for the next number of Lord's Table services, another six or so to step out of whatever series we're in and focus on our union with Christ because I don't think we think about it enough. I think as Christians we are often comfortable and don't really move too far beyond realizing that Christ was a historical person and that he died on a cross for us and that we are saved when we put our faith in what Jesus did on the cross. But we never make the 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 progression or take the step from realizing that Christ did that outside of us to then understanding that Christ now lives in us. We are united with him. And in fact, if you look through the Bible, only three times does it ever mention a self-description of us as Christians. If we say, well, who are you? We say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, that's found only three times in the New Testament. But if you would say, well, who are you? Well, I am united with Christ. You would find that over hundreds of times in the New Testament. For our identity is by the fact that we are in Christ, that we are buried with Him, that we live in Him, that He is in us, that He dwells in us through His Spirit. And that's where our identity comes from. It comes from our union with Christ. And so when we think about our identity of Christians and the question, who am I? The most basic response to that is simply, I am an individual who has been united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. And everything that you and I need to live the Christian life, and the only way we can live the Christian life, is to recognize that we receive it all by our identification with and union in Jesus Christ. That every gift that God has ever given us, and I, I throw these words out, they're biblical words, they, they might not make sense to all of you, but words like regeneration, like being born again, um, justification, sanctification, glorification, perseverance, perseverance every aspect of the Christian life is lived out and is invigorated by the fact that we are united with Christ in His death and in His resurrection. The way that we make progress as children of God, is through our relationship with Jesus Christ and through that union that we have with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. The reality is, though, is there's probably not a, there will not be a Christian here who will say that, well, you know, I have been united with Christ and my battle with sin is over. The reality is, is that we almost have this split personality now. Because we know we are united with Christ, and yet sin still continues to rear its ugly head in our lives. And that's what Paul is dealing with then in this passage, and this is why the Spirit of God and our union with Christ is so important. I I just want to reference some of these. If I had a read chapter 8, he says there in verse verse 1, Therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ. And then in verse 8, he says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. In fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. And then in verse 10, but if Christ is in you. And so there's this constant reminder that Christ is in us and we are in him, but Christ dwells in us through his spirit, the spirit of God who lives in us. And so how do we then deal with this sort of reality that we are united with Christ, but we still have sin residing in us? How do we win the battle? How do we put to death sin in our lives? I think this is why it's such a a helpful thing this morning to be reflecting on uh, Pentecost Sunday, the gift of the Spirit, and at the same time remembering the Lord's table through which we are united with Christ. And you've got a sermon outline there in the the pink sheet, but we will only get through the first point, which just means that I've got three sermons ready for the next few communion Sundays. (laughs) But the first point is simply this, cultivating a new mindset, being led by the Spirit. One of the ways that, the first way that we begin to deal with sin that continues to live in us is to cultivate a new mindset. And to understand that the Spirit of God now lives in you and I. It is something that we need to think about regularly. The Spirit of God lives in us. And so how then, through the Spirit living in us, do we put to death sin in our life? Well, the first thing is simply this. That the Spirit of God helps me recognize my need to put sin to death. This is what Paul is talking about in verses 12 to 14. There's this battle and there's this recognition that there's something going on in my life that I need to change. And how does that recognition come about? It comes about through the Spirit of God in me. I hope we understand as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ that sin is not something to be tolerated in our lives. It's not something to be just ignored. It's not something that we say, well, you know what, I can't really handle it, but I'm going to cage it up and I'm going to put it over here so it really can't bother me. But we never rip it out of our lives. We have to come to the conclusion after we recognize sin in our life that the only way to do, deal with it is to put it to death and is to kill it in our lives. As one individual wrote, sin remains a squatter in our lives. And squatters are notoriously difficult to evict. Until the day that you and I die, we will be engaged in a continual and an irreconcilable war between our flesh. And that's a reference to everything in us, in our mind and our hearts that is opposed to God and the things of God. And we, every time we read the Bible, every time we come to church, we have battles with the things of God and the things inside of us and this conflict that goes on. And so until the day that we die, we will be engaged in this continual and irreconcilable war between the flesh and the spirit. And Paul has reminded us, and I've reminded you, that there are two things about us that we need to remember. One, that Jesus Christ dwells in us through his spirit, and sin still lives in us. And so as long as that's true, we're going to have to put it to death. One of the things that I have recognized in my own life, and I've seen it in other people's lives, and we'll say more about this another time, is sin is a master of disguise. Sin can find so many ways in which to hide in your life, in your thoughts, in your heart. I was thinking I had been watching the news and a particular article or um, a story on YouTube on Lyme disease. And Lyme disease is a particular disease that can remain hidden in the body for a number of years, and it can remain wrongly dis, uh, diagnosed because it can present in so many different ways, and so that doctors sometimes will say, well, that's this or that's this, when in reality, it's actually Lyme disease or the, the tick bite that's causing the problem. It's like a chameleon. It, it, it's perfected the art of concealment in our lives. And many times when we deal with sin, the only way that sin can actually be exposed in our life is through the reading of the Word of God. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And so one of the first things in cultivating a new mindset and understanding the work of the Spirit in us that helps us put sin to death is to realize our need to put it to death. To realize the need that we have to recognize it in our lives and to expose it and to give it a name and to identify it. The second thing that I think you see in this text here Is that he says there, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. The spirit then reminds me that I have a responsibility to deal with sin in my life. I think sometimes we, we, well I know we live in a culture that personal responsibility seems to be thrown out the window more and more. That nobody is responsible for anything any longer. That it's always somebody else's fault. It's some other reason. There's somewhere something that causes me to do what I do. I'm not responsible for it. But you don't find that anywhere in the Bible as it relates to our responsibility to deal with sin. Sin is a choice that we make. We are responsible for it in our life and for how we deal with it in our life. I'm sure you're aware, if you're a follower of Christ, that sin just doesn't go away. If you just kind of say, well, I'm going to put it on the shelf today, or I'm going to ignore it today, it'll be there tomorrow. And it'll be there probably with greater strength tomorrow, or it will find another way to work itself into our life and to, to come out of us. Neither is there any biblical warrant for saying, well, I'm just going to let go and let God, that really it's God's responsibility to deal with the issues in my life and I'm a child of God now and he will work out what he needs to do in my life. You won't find that anywhere in the scriptures. The Bible does tell us that God is to work or God is at work in our life to will and to work to his good pleasure, but that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have a responsibility in our lives to take on sin that continues to reside in us. To be sure the spirit enables us to deal with sin. And without the Spirit we are powerless but we still have a responsibility to fight it in our lives. And so as you think about a mindset and you think about the things that you wrestle with and the things that you battle with and the sins that easily entangle you remember that the Spirit reminds us that not only do I need to deal with sin in my life but I need to deal with the sin in my life. Thirdly The Apostle reminds us that it's the Spirit that enables us to put sin to death in our life. We can't do it on our own. It's the Spirit of God that works with us, that empowers us or enables us to rid out sin in our life and that enables us to put it to death. I I hope we understand that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the battle over sin has been won. In the sense of the decisive battle has been won on the cross. And that's what we celebrate here at the Lord's table. That penalty of our sin has been paid for. The power of sin has been broken. All we are waiting for is that great day when the very presence of sin will be eradicated from our lives. It's like the, the illustration that you've probably heard and it's used before after the Second World War. That there was D-Day and there was Victory Day. I believe D-Day was June the 6th when they actually won the battle, but the rest of the months were the mopping up of that war and just the putting down of little skirmishes there and there, but the actual victory had been done. Well, that's the same that's true of the Christian life. The actual decisive battle has been won by Jesus Christ on the cross, but until he returns we are in sort of a mop-up mode. And the way in which we mop up the remnants of sin in our life is through the enabling work of the Spirit of God in us. It says if you walk in the Spirit, if you're led by the Spirit, if you keep in step with the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And so it is so important for us to wake up in the morning and to walk through the day and, and just utter in a silently or even out loud as you're driving, Spirit of God. I need you to help me today. I need you to give me strength today. I will tackle this issue, but I need your help. And to acknowledge mentally and verbally your reliance on the Spirit of God. And then the fourth point is simply this, that the Spirit of God focuses my will on putting death or putting sin to death. I think this is probably one of the most important works of the Spirit in our life. Over the years, I have wrestled with a number of the healing miracles in the Bible. Two in particular that I want to mention today is one is the man that was at the Sheep Gate Pool. He had been paralyzed for 38 years and had been unable to make it into the pool when it was stirred up so that he could be healed. And the other was the two blind men that were on the Jericho Road as Jesus was leaving Jericho to go into Jerusalem. And in the first instance, Jesus comes up to the man who had been sick for 38 years, and after a bit of a conversation, he says to him, do you want to be healed? What a, what a, what a bizarre question. And then to the blind men, as they're before him and they're blind, he says, what do you want me to do for you? I don't know if you've thought about that. Um, you know, we with our thinking might think, well, it, it's obvious. The, the, the man paralyzed wants to walk, and the men that are blind want to be healed, but Jesus actually asked them a question to see if that's really what they want, if their wills are engaged in that. You see, after 38 years of, of paralyzation or after um, numerous years of being blind, I think it says they were, they were born blind, you develop habits and patterns and dependencies and your life is all laid out for you and there's certain things that you don't have to deal with because of your situation, uh, like we all have. And, and so they might have got to the point where they were comfortable, even though it wasn't their preference, the change that would come to them by being healed would have been enormous. And maybe they weren't ready for that change or willing for that change. And so Jesus asked that question to say, is this really what you want? Do you really want to have your world turned upside down by being able to walk again or by being able to see again? Are you really ready to embrace the change that will come into your life? Well, the issue is even more pressing when it comes to sin. Some here have been captive to a sin for so long that you really see no way out. There really is no hope of deliverance. And in fact, you've come to live quite comfortably with it in a certain extent. I think there's others of us here that have a love-hate relationship with sin. There are times when we hate it because we see what it does to us. We see its impact on us and our family and our friends, and we just want it ripped out of our lives. But then there's other times when the temptation comes and the sin presents itself, and all of a sudden we our love for it seems to just explode and we participate in it and we give into temptation. We really hate it, but our will still loves it. The question is, do we really want to grow in holiness? Or has dabbling with a particular sin in our life left us content with mediocre levels of sanctification? Or maybe we're like Augustine who prayed, give me chastity, but not yet. You substitute your sinful love in place of chastity. You see, it illustrates the power of indwelling sin in our lives and its drag on us, the way that it so easily entangles us and the strength of its deception upon us. And we need to engage our wills in order to bring about the destruction of sin in our life, even if it will be painful. Matthew 5.29, following Jesus, says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. And throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus is there just telling us that we have to take sin seriously in our life and that it may be painful to remove those things which. Inflame our love for it. Or Colossians, if then you have been raised with Christ, put to death sin. As one individual wrote, we must be willing to act with violence towards indwelling sin in our life. Many years ago I read a book um, by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. Some of you may have read that book. He wrote the book to show the differences between hell and heaven. And in this fantasy, people would take a day trip to heaven and they'd get just to the borders of heaven. And because heaven was so real, the people appeared as ghosts or human appeared as ghosts as he's writing next to the solidity of heaven and its residence. And he would even describe there that heaven's grass was so, um, uh, so real that it hurt the feet of those that were visiting. And then the narrator goes on to describe this amazing interaction between a ghost and a little red lizard. He says, I saw coming towards us a ghost, an unsubstantial, a human being, who carried something on his shoulder. What sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard, and it was twitching its tail like a whip and whispering things in his ear. And a flaming spirit appears at this point in the dialogue, and it's an angel who offers to make him quiet this little red lizard and to set the ghost free. The dialogue continues Would you like me to make him quiet? said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. A little bit farther on, the ghost replied, get back, you're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if I did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from, uh, from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could we live? You'd be only sort of a ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know that there are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say, quite innocent. Have I your permission said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony such I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisted it, and while it bit and writhed, and then he flung it broken back onto the turf. Ow! That's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For the ghost, substitute yourself. For the little red lizard, substitute that sin that you continue to battle with. For the angel, substitute the Holy Spirit. And give the Holy Spirit permission to kill that little red lizard. It's on your shoulders? Loved one, there is no spiritual growth without spiritual pain. And we must be willing to act with spiritual violence against our sin. Sin will distort God's purposes for our life. It will destroy our body and soul. And only the death of sin will, live to, will lead to a life of freedom. Certainly it will hurt and there will be a loss. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live. So of necessity, the Spirit leads me to want to put sin to death in my life. I want to just take a moment as we bring it to the close. I had three or four motivations for why we would do this, but I just want to mention one, why we want to put sin to death in our life. And I can't think of a better motivation than Pentecost Sunday and the Lord's table. Because on Pentecost Sunday and at the Lord's table, we see two of God's most precious gifts given to us. In the Lord's table, we see the gift of God's Son given to us. That we might be united with Him, die to sin, and be raised with Him. And in Pentecost, we see the gift of God's Spirit given to us two of the most precious gifts that god could ever give to us he has given to us to enable us to put to death sin that continues to reside in us when we ignore that sin that lives in us and when we refuse to put it to death we are really rejecting those most precious gifts that god has given us When I am tempted and feel the power of sin and its tug on my affections and the gospel then gives me something to say. You know, if you say something like this in the morning when you get up or in the daytime when you're in the middle of battling a temptation, I will guarantee you, and I'm careful to use that, but I will guarantee you that if you will say something like this and recall what Christ has done for us and the gift that God has given to us, you will feel a power in you to resist sin that you won't feel if you try and tackle it by yourself. But the gospel gives us something to say when sin rears its ugly head. Christ bled and died for this sin. I will therefore have nothing to do with it. I am now united with Christ by the indwelling of the Spirit. How can I drag Him into this sin? And you will find by the Spirit's help that you are enabled to deal with that sin which seems to have so much power over you. I am so thankful that by reason of our union with Christ and through the indwelling of the Spirit of God in me, I have a license to kill sin which so often rears its ugly head. In my life. And so do you if you know Jesus because you are united with him and his spirit dwells in you. Father in heaven, I come before you this morning and I thank you for Christ. We have seen Christ magnified in so many ways today as Pastor Ian and the band has led us in songs that have reflected on the work of Christ as we have witnessed Johnny share with us what Christ has done in his life and his desire to follow Christ and all that flows out of his union with Christ. And then as we gathered around your table of remembrance and reflected on the death of Christ and that life that is now our life, I thank you for the provision that you have made through Jesus Christ so that we can deal with sin in our life. I thank you for the reminder through this Pentecost Sunday that also the Spirit of Christ dwells in me. The Spirit of God helps me recognize sin in my life. It helps me recognize my responsibility to deal with sin in my life. The Spirit of God enables me to deal with the sin in my life, and the Spirit of God invigorates my will to want to deal with the sin in my life. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the help that it gives in the very practical issues and realities that we face in life. Would you help us remember as we go from here that Christ lives in us and that we are united to him forever, and that the Spirit of God lives in us. And by virtue of that union with Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit, we are able to put to death sin in our lives. Help us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.